0: Good morning New Life Church, good morning to our visitors and friends that are gathered with us this morning. Today we start a new sermon series, we've taken a short break from the book of Acts. It's not really much of a a break because we're just really going to be spending the next four weeks looking at the the implications of what we've been learning in the, the book of Acts. So the book of Acts, we've seen the the history of the church. We saw how the gospel took root in the church in Jerusalem, the very first church, and then it went to Antioch, to different parts of Judea, and then it went to Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And we looked at the three missionary journeys that Paul had been um, working hard to share the gospel and how churches had been planted. And we saw how people took the gospel seriously and made disciples of Jesus and we saw how the church continued to multiply, increase through the power of the gospel. And today we're really going to be looking at how that how that applies to us personally. And we're going to be looking at the Great Commission more intently in the next four weeks. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter twenty eight. We'll read those verses in, um, in a moment. I just want to start with a, with a research that was done in the U.S. by a group called the Barner Group a couple of years ago. They asked a simple question to people that identified themselves as Christians. Now, the Barner Group is a, is a research and polling firm based in the U.S., and the question they asked in this poll was, do you know what the Great Commission is? And there were different results here. 6% said that they were not sure what the Great Commission was. 17% said, yes, they did know the Great Commission. 25% said, yes, but they couldn't recall the exact meaning. 51% said, They didn't know what the Great Commission was. And when given the opportunity to pick the Great Commission from five different verses, 63% picked the wrong verse. So as you can see, varying understandings of what the Great Commission is. And I think that applies not just to the U.S. but to all parts of the world and today, hopefully, and this week, we will have a better understanding this month of what the Great Commission is and how we are to be involved in it as a church. So the Great Commission is all about missions, if I can just give you a clear definition. The word mission is mentioned in that word, the Great Commission, and the word commission is used there to help us understand it. And the word commission means, it means a charge. It means an order or it means a mandate. And this means what Jesus gave us in the Great Commission is not a suggestion. It's not a request. It is a command. And we're going to be looking at that this morning. So what we're going to discover is something that I think makes many lukewarm Christians uncomfortable. And I say that in inverted commas because... There really shouldn't be such a thing as a lukewarm Christian, somebody who's just sitting on the fence, somebody who has one foot in the church and one foot in the world. That's not really a definition of of a Christian. I mean, I think the reason it makes some of these people uncomfortable is because this mandate, this command requires that we actually get up and that we continue to be faithful and we are obedient to what God has ...commanded us to do, to bring this life-saving knowledge of faith in Christ to the last. I think the fear that many people have concerning the Great Commission... ...has led it to become the Great Omission. The Great Omission. That's the title of my sermon. I think the word omission has been left out there. The Great Omission. But I hope for many here today, this month's mission emphasis will be a joy. It will be a blessing and it won't make you uncomfortable in what the Lord is telling us to be doing. So please would you turn to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to read from verse 16 to verse 20. If you would stand with me in respect to God's word, we will read these verses together. to the end of the age. Father, please teach us this morning. We pray your spirit would help us to understand that we won't just be the hearers of the word, but that we will be the doers. We pray the spirit would apply these truths to us personally. And Father, may you be glorified in our responses today. So please help me as I share these truths. May none of your words fall to the ground today. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So I know as Christians, and I know even at New Life Church, we enjoy Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship is a good thing. Christian fellowship is rich. It's rewarding. But I hope you understand that Christian fellowship is not our primary responsibility as, as Christians. And we have these potluck fellowships to promote fellowship. And like I said, these are rich and rewarding. But this is not our primary responsibility as believers. I know that we are all called to praise and to worship and we enjoy doing that, but that too is not our primary responsibility. I know we are called to learn the Word of God. I know we are called to, to teach the Word of God that we may understand better the Scriptures, but as good as it is and as vital as it is, it is not Our primary responsibility. Our primary responsibility as a church is summed up in one verb in this passage that we've just looked at in verse 19. If you have a pen, I'd encourage you to underline this in your Bible. It tells us in verse 19, Make disciples. That is our primary responsibility. And then explains to us the breadth of this command. To all the nations And this is our primary reason that the church exists. This is the primary purpose for us as the church. If we were saved for, for fellowship think about this for a moment. then if this were true, then we would be taken to heaven once we are saved, where fellowship is perfect, where it is so much better than it can be here on this Earth. If we were saved primarily for praise and worship, we would be taken to heaven as soon as we are born again. Where praise and worship is perfect, where it is unhindered by our our selfish flesh. If we were saved for the sake of teaching and training and just acquiring knowledge and, and wisdom, we would be taken to heaven the moment we were born again, where knowledge and wisdom is perfect. But that's not the case. The reason we have been left here on this earth after we have been born again is in order that we might make disciples of all nations. And that is our God-given priority as a church. the Bible teaches us that God is a missionary God. He is passionately committed to spreading His glory to all the nations. And today I want to show you from our text five elements necessary for us to be a God-glorifying church in serving in this great commission. So in Matthew 28, the Lord has given His command, this commission to His disciples, just before He ascends back into heaven. So we've really going back to Acts chapter 1, where this all started. So we're moving from Acts chapter 23 back to Acts chapter 1 in these next four weeks. Jesus said in verse 16, if you'd look there, my first point is availability. He says in verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. I think the first Lesson and the first element that we can learn from right here that is necessary in order for us to glorify God by making disciples is availability. Is availability. And this attitude is implied by the fact that the 11 disciples were where Jesus told them to be. Our text provides for us a narrative of the last recorded message of Jesus before he ascended up into heaven. So at this point in um, the gospel of Jesus, our Lord, had already been crucified, He had already been buried, and He had already been resurrected. And these are His final words to them before He goes back up into heaven. And a lot we know has happened before this event. We know Peter had denied Jesus. We know Thomas had, had doubted. We know all the disciples had lost everything in this catastrophic event that preceded this but we know the disciples were being faithful and they were following jesus again despite their failures despite their losses we see they would return to galilee where jesus would meet them galilee was where it all began galilee it seems would mark the new beginning for these disciples at this point judas was dead And only 11 of the original disciples were left. And there were many logical reasons for the disciples to have turned away from following Jesus. They had suffered much loss. They had suffered a lot of pain. A lot of heartache. And their circumstances were not what they thought they would have been after following Jesus all these years. And they must have had some reservations... But yet, here they are again following Jesus, making themselves available in the service of our Lord. And someone once said, The greatest ability is availability. And the most gifted and talented Christian in the world is of no use to God if he or she is not available to God. And faithful service to God always starts with simply being available to the Lord putting all of our fears and our reservations aside. And people who are not available to God for for service will never fully experience this joy and never fully know God's purpose for their lives in serving Him and in making disciples. God always uses people who are fully and completely available to Him for service. My second point is worship. And we see this in verse 17. The second necessary element to glorify God is to to worship Him. In verse 17, it tells us that when they saw Him, when the disciples saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. So here the disciples were reunited with Jesus in Galilee. And the disciples' response is a a little bit peculiar. When they see Jesus, they, they worship we, we understand this part. This isn't peculiar. This makes sense given the circumstances of Jesus' resurrection and the events that happened before that, his death and his cruel suffering. But it tells us also in this passage that some doubt it. We understand the worship part, but here they're also doubting. And I think we get a little bit of an understanding, a deeper understanding of, of how they were worshiping here. Worship is not typically associated with doubt, is it? The text here does not focus on doubt in the sense of unbelief. These disciples didn't have unbelief here in their faith. They did not doubt that Christ was risen from the dead. They saw Jesus face to face. They could see for themselves that He had been risen from the dead. He had appeared to them several times before this, and He had given them all the proofs of the truths of the the resurrection that he had been speaking to them about and all the proofs that they desired. So the doubt was more in their reservations. The doubt was more about their fears and their uncertainties, not so much in their unbelief. And the mention of their doubting shows that they were honest. They were honest men, honest people. This was a most unusual even Unbelievable circumstance that they found themselves in, a supernatural circumstance. But despite their fears, despite the fact that none of this scientifically could add up in their brains, what did they do? The verse tells us they worshipped Jesus. They worshipped Jesus. The disciples had come together for one purpose, and that was to pay honor. To Jesus as the eternal son of God. Because of his resurrection from the dead. These 11 disciples would go on to change the world. And it was because of their, their genuine attitude of worship. Their genuine love for Jesus. So we see the true service flows out of an attitude of worship. And this principle is wonderfully illustrated in the very first missionary journey that Paul took. Remember in Acts chapter 13, please turn here with me. Let me remind you of this principle in Acts chapter 13. In verse 1, we read, Now there were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manion, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. But before they were sent out, while they were fasting, what were they doing? They were worshipping the Lord. Notice that. It was while they were worshipping that the Holy Spirit called these individuals for missionary service while they were worshipping. And also notice that it was only Barnabas and Saul who were, who were sent by the church. Not everybody. The rest of the prophets and the rest of the, the teachers were, were left in Antioch to continue the ministry there. But to support their ministry practically as well that was their form of worship, in promoting the Great Commission. And no doubt the mission flourished because they were a church that were worshiping. They were a worshiping church. I think when God is not truly worshiped, He cannot truly be served. When God is not truly worshiped, no matter how talented or gifted people may be, the mission will not be successful. I think it begins and it ends with worship. So we've seen the first element is availability. The second element is worship. But the third element necessary to glorify God, I think, is submission. That's my third point. We see in verse 18. Look at Matthew 28, in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So the text here moves from our disciples' insecurities, which we see that they're having with their, with their doubts and their fears and their lack of understanding, to what? What is it now shifted towards? It is now focusing on our exalted Lord. Our exalted Lord. And Jesus here is declaring his authority, and his disciples are submitting to. To this authority. Before Jesus gives his great commission, he states his authority. He states his authority, which their commission is based on. And he tells us he has been given all authority, not some authority. He has been given all authority in heaven and on earth by his Father, the creator of this universe. Jesus Christ is the Lord of this universe. When you think about that word authority. He has authority over politics, He has authority over all governments, He has authority over all the armies and military might of this world. He has authority over all industry, he has authority over all business. He has authority over science and, and education. He has authority over all entertainment and and media, and radio, and TV. He has all authority over sports and leisure. He has all authority over all natural phenomena. He has authority over all planets, and moons, and stars, and, and light, and energy, and motion, and time. All authority is His. and Therefore, He has authority over our lives. He has authority over our lives. And submission to Jesus' authority is really not an option for believers. It's not an option for those who are born again. And the first necessary element is to glorify God is availability. But we won't be available if we are not submitting, right? Submission to Jesus' authority is not an option. It's not ours to negotiate, but ours rather to obey. Our attitude must be, if we are truly Jesus' disciples, then we will do whatever He commands us to do. Because He is our Lord and our King and our Sovereign. Our fourth point here is in verse 19. The first part of verse 20. The fourth element necessary. To glorify God in making disciples is obedience. Jesus said in verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So see how the therefore connects Jesus' authority to this command. Go. This is the command. Go. And these verses that I've just read to you are known as the Great Commission. As mentioned earlier, the main verb here and the central command in this passage is make disciples. Not go and have a vacation. Not go and enjoy God's creation. It is go and make disciples. And Jesus' command is simply this. You who are my disciples... You have a job. And that job is to reproduce yourselves in the world. Not physically, spiritually we're talking about here. Go into the world and tell the world about me. Share the good news of the gospel with those who don't know me. And when they come to faith, baptize them in my name. And then don't just leave them there. Teach them to do what I have commanded. Don't just go and evangelize. Disciple as well. Disciple, teach new believers how to be faithful to my commands. It's not a very complicated commission that the Lord has given to us. But still, it makes people uneasy. Still, it makes people uncomfortable because it requires availability, because it requires worship, because it requires submission and obedience. Folks, it's not a culture or an ethnic group or a society or a religion or a language where Jesus does not have the right to be worshipped as Lord he has authority to be king. He has authority to be our Lord and Savior everywhere to everyone. And This is the reason He commands us to make disciples in all the peoples of the world. And the authority and the supremacy of Jesus over every other culture and people group is the basis of world missions. Jesus Christ, the living sovereign Lord of this universe gives us this command. He gives this command to call every nation, to call every people and every religion to repent and believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and the inheritance of eternal life. Jesus has commanded us to go and make disciples among every people. And the fifth element necessary to glorify God by telling others about him is power. We see that at the end of verse 20. Look at verse 20. Jesus concluded his statement here, his command in Matthew 28 with his profound words. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm not with you sometimes when I'm not busy, when it's convenient for me. Jesus is with us always to the end of the age. And each of these previous elements that we've mentioned really hinge on this, on this final element. And Jesus promises us that His presence will be with His people until the final culmination of the ages. You not know, one of us would be able to accomplish one thing for Christ were it not for the fact That He promises to be with us. And He promises to enable us to carry out His purposes. It's because of this promise that we can press on. It's because of these promises that we can fulfill the task that He has given to us. If we did not have a promise like this, we would all eventually give up. Because we just cannot fulfill this great commission, this great command that God has given us on our own, in our own strength. But it's not in our own strength. It's not in our own power. And we don't need to become discouraged. We don't need to be feel this despair because it's in the power of the Holy Spirit that God will enable us to make disciples of our Savior. And so in order to glorify God, we need these elements. We need availability. We need worship. We need submission. We need obedience, and we need power we're going to be looking at these elements throughout this week. I've just given you a general overview of what we as a church need to be doing to glorify God in this Great Commission. And we're going to be looking specifically how we can do this throughout this month. But Christian disciples are those who glorify God by participating in His plan of redemption. And I hope by now you're asking me, well, how? How can I participate in this plan of redemption? Well, I hope at least you'll be available. I hope that you would be willing to worship. I hope that you are submitting to God in obedience and that you're allowing him to fill you with his power in order to be part of this plan of redemption. But this is God's purpose for us as a corporate body. It's God's purpose for you as an individual believer. And it is my prayer that you would take God's purpose seriously and make this your purpose in the life that the Lord has given to you. And we don't know how long we'll live. This last week, we just had a memorial service for a dear sister that was with us just a couple of months ago. But I remember her life and how intentional she was in sharing Christ with others, doing what she could to make disciples of people. But I want to close with an excerpt from a letter that I received this week by a pastor in in Arlington, Virginia. And in this letter, he, he shares a story of a young lady named Colleen that he and a number of other from their church were reaching out to at Starbucks. And he says, she didn't know Jesus, but she loved to be part of our campus planning meetings. And I would say to her, Colleen, come over and tell us what we Christians are doing wrong. We need your input. We're just trying to save you anyway. And she loved it. She loved the people and she loved hanging out with us. And we got involved in her life. And we gave her money to participate in an AIDS walk. It was a genuine friendship. But eventually she moved away to New York. I didn't see her come to faith in Christ and it broke my heart. But three years later, I was greeting people at the door of our church, and I saw Colleen walk in. Previously, she would never have set foot in a church. But there she was, walking toward me with a huge smile and tears in her eyes. She was eight months pregnant and unmarried. And she said, Eric, I've heard that it takes a person 85 times to hear the gospel before they're saved. Well, it took me 86 Thank you for telling me about Jesus. I didn't lead Colleen to the Lord, but I was part of it. and One more person transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Amazing grace. And whether He goes on to say, whether your church is in Dallas, Texas, or Sydney, Australia, Philly, or New York, God has strategically placed you and the members of your church in that place. He has radically converted you and called you to be missionaries. Why? Because He wants His kingdom to be revealed. He wants the lost to be saved. And your church gets to play a part in it. What a mission. We get to play a part in it, folks, right here in Abu Dhabi. God has brought us here, has brought you here, to be part of New Life Church for a reason, for a purpose. And that is to share this wonderful news with those like Colleen struggling in the darkness that they walk to be a light to those around us and to make disciples for our King Jesus. Will you commit yourself today to be a witness of Jesus who glorifies the Father by faithfully making disciples of Jesus? And perhaps this week you commit yourself to telling someone about Jesus. Plant the seeds. Plant the seeds because we know from what we've just learned that all authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth and because Jesus is always with us to the end. Amen. Father, we pray for your help as we learn to apply this great commission to our individual lives. We pray for your help as we learn to apply this great commission, corporately to us as a church, that we would be faithful in being part of this great commission that you have called us to be part of. So please continue to teach us this month, Lord. And I pray, as I did earlier this morning, that you would increase our desire to see all the nations be happy in you. Increase our desire to see lost people come to faith in Christ. Give us a love for those around us who are perishing in their sins. Give us the compassion we need to take the time to be available to tell them how they can be happy and joyful in Christ. Let the nations be glad, Lord, and use us as a church for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.